Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I wanted to make you aware of something before I begin this morning, if I could. Many of you have been praying for Gilbert and Sheila Lamb. Sheila passed away this morning about 8 o'clock. And I told our 8.30 service, she just thought she liked worship services until she walked into heaven this morning. Because she experienced the glory of God in ways that we'll never understand this side of eternity. So just be in prayer for Gilbert and for uh, her children. Two boys, two girls, Michael and Steve and uh, Becky and Rachel and then their grandchildren. Uh, and that loss as we minister to them and, and, and love them in this time. Let's pray and, and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we just thank you for... The gift of life. It is fleeting. And it really is like a vapor, Lord, like James said last week. And it's here and then it's gone. And so, Lord, allow us in this time and moments like these, especially as we've lost someone that we love, Lord, help us just to remember the blessing of life. The gift of another day with our friends and with our family. And then, Lord, allow that to maybe lead us to a place where it challenges maybe our priorities. Some realizing, Father, that you've got an eternal plan. Help us to be part of that eternal plan, Father. Help us to see things with heaven in mind to make a real difference in the lives of the people around us. And Father, I pray for that family. Just love them, comfort them, encourage and strengthen them in this difficult time. And and Lord, as we continue to to worship this morning, thank you for an incredible time of song and worship and praise. Lord, I pray we continue with that same spirit now as we open the truth of your word and we study your text. Father, give us just a real clear understanding of your will for our lives. Encourage us, challenge us to be the people of God you've called us to be. And Lord, may we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. As you're finding James 5, let me just reiterate what Jeremy said a few minutes ago. These little sheets of paper right over here have Easter on the front and on the back. Who you're going to invite. I've got five people listed here. Well, some individuals and families that I've been praying about and thinking about, you need to do the same. We want to just challenge you to invite people to our Easter service. This is the first time in several years it hasn't been on spring break. We don't have any mission trips gone. People are not going to be gone for spring break. We expect to have a large number of people. And a large number of people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to be inviting them. And then I'll start a sermon series that morning that answers difficult questions. You know, people want to know why difficult things happen. People want to know if the Bible is real. People want to know if Jesus really came back from the dead. And I'm going to answer those questions in a way that I hope will, will at least cause the skeptic to think twice about their stance on Christianity. So that's my prayer for that, that sermon and for, for that day and then for the days and weeks to follow. So you be in prayer for that. James chapter 5, we are continuing our study that we've entitled Faith in Action, and we're beginning to wind this thing down. Now, we've gone all the way through four full chapters. We're into the fifth chapter, and we've got basically two more weeks now to to finish this up. And I love this series because it's incredibly challenging. 
Feels like each week that we go through different verses, we're challenged on different levels. And I have people that come and talk to me about some of the challenges. And, and you should know I face the same challenges. As I read through this, I struggle sometimes. And I'm like, Lord, how do I need to be a, a better Christian? How do I need to walk in faith more? Because James has challenged us over and over and over again with very simple thoughts and simple understandings. Like, like how are we making our faith real? How are we demonstrating our faith? How are we living for Christ day after day after day? And those are the questions you have to be asking yourself. You really need to kind of walk through life taking this inventory of your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes day by day by day. Lord, am I living for you today? How am I going to do it? As I walk into work tomorrow morning, Lord, how can I demonstrate my faith to my coworkers? How, how can I demonstrate my faith to my family? How can I demonstrate my faith on the, the baseball field or the soccer field or, or students at the lunch table? How can I live out my faith? These are the things that James is challenging us with. They're things we need to answer. So we're going to continue to walk through this morning, this study together, and we're going to challenge an area that is extremely personal to us today. James is going to challenge us with our money, how we view our money, and how we spend our money. Probably one of the most personal things James is going to speak about. Maybe one of the most difficult things. And, and maybe one of the most challenging things we deal with, especially in our society, in Western society, and especially in America. So let's jump right in this morning. James chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. James begins, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Just, just, just pause for a second, a side note. In, in our culture, most of the time, the rich are lifted up, aren't they? We roll out the red carpets, we drive the limousines, we're excited to see them. We, we've kind of come to this place almost in our society where we almost want to bow down to them because of who they are. Not so James. He says to them and said, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Tough language there. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Harsh words, difficult things for us to process. Let's kind of think through it together this morning. Here's the first thing James wants us to see. We need to be very careful, number one, because our money won't last. And then a little side note, don't miss eternal opportunities because you are busy worrying about your money. Kind of hurts a little bit, doesn't it? But our, our money's not going to last. I wonder how many of us, and let me just say I'm standing at the head of the line here, okay? I wonder how many of us have missed eternal opportunities because we're so busy worried about our money. So James kind of challenges this in the first few verses. Come now, you rich. Now, who's James talking to here? Well, in the context of his letter in the first century, there were very wealthy landowners, people that had amassed a lot of land, a lot of riches, a lot of wealth and possessions. And these people oftentimes kind of hoarded things and kept things to themselves and didn't bless others and didn't help people in need. So when James is speaking to the rich people here, he's talking to people that are, that are greedy, that had more than they would need. But let's just kind of apply this to our lives. If we're kind of honest with ourselves, 
ourselves. We could say certainly that, that he could be speaking to rich people today. But just to put it in context and to make sure we're all on the same page, I said this several weeks ago when James kind of spoke a little bit about this topic in the beginning of his letter. In our culture, in the United States of America, you are among the most wealthy people in the world. You know that, right? I mean, no matter where you are, kind of on the, on, the, on the socioeconomic level in America, you're still among the most wealthy. So just to be kind of clear, if you, just want to make sure we understand what we're talking about. If you make more than $2 a day, which I think is probably most of us, uh, you're in the top percentage points in the world. Did you know about half the population of the world lives on less than $2 a day? Were you aware of that? And so just by default, right, and one of the things I can't kind of still wrap my mind around when I do these mission trips and we're going to commission here at the end of our service, I can't wrap my mind around the understanding of why the Lord allowed me to be born here and not in some third world country. Because we, we, we think we're smart and we think we're successful and we, we think we do so much until we realize that it's really because of where we were born and the opportunities we've been given that we are who we are. So when James is speaking to the rich, just by association and just kind of by a factor of where we are in our culture today, he's speaking to us here. And so he uses some kind of harsh words that, that seem difficult to us. He tells us we need to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming, Right? Our riches are, are rotten, they're moth-eaten, they have corroded, they will eat your flesh like fire. Harsh words, strong warnings. Now, I want to be clear here because James is not saying it's a sin to have money. That's not what he's saying. James is not saying it's a sin to have possessions or wealth. That's not what he's saying. One <clears throat> scholar kind of explained it like this. Speaking of the wealthy people he's speaking to in Scripture, and even people today, they're not condemned simply for their wealth. They are condemned for their sinful use of their wealth. And so the question we, we begin to ask ourselves as we process through the, the warning that James has given us as we understand that our, our money is not going to last, our question begins to, to, to be something like this. How do we take our money and use our wealth for the glory of the Lord? Because riches are not a sin, wealth is not a sin, but here's the problem with wealth, here's the problem with riches, far too many people have fallen into this trap. If we're not careful, the riches and the wealth of the world begin to very slowly draw us away from the things of the Lord. Did you know that? The more things we accumulate and, and the more treasure we build up on this earth, the Bible tells us where our heart is, our treasure will be also. The more treasure we build up here, the more our heart is into it, the more we gravitate toward the things of the world. We kind of live in this world that's defined by more and more and more and more and more. If you've been to Atlanta lately, really over the last couple of years, and you've paid attention... You've probably noticed there are two brand new stadiums coming up in Atlanta. Did you know that? The Falcons are getting a brand new stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and the Braves are getting another stadium. Now the interesting thing about the Falcons Stadium, if you've kind of been to Midtown and, and seen it lately, is that they're building Mercedes-Benz Stadium. By the way, you know how much it's going to cost? Have you seen? $1.6 billion. That's a B. They estimated about seven or $800 million when they first started. Pretty amazing. Now it's beautiful. It's impressive if you've seen it and you go to their website and they've got like a 360 degree deal you can go through and fly through and it's, it's got this jumbo screen that's like 60 feet tall, 1100 feet long. It goes all the way around the top of the stadium. Have you seen that? It's amazing. 
But if you're, if, you're, if you're kind of driving through the city, you notice that that stadium is being built right beside the Georgia Dome. And so you think, well, there must be something wrong with the Georgia Dome. I mean, the, the foundation must be bad, or the, the, the roof must be leaking, or maybe they're not able to host events in there. Well, that's not the case. The Georgia Dome is fine. They're still hosting events. They've had the Super Bowl there, uh, NFL championship games, uh, SEC championship games, the Final Four, concerts, passion has been there. We've had all sorts of events. Nothing's wrong with the Georgia Dome. Just over 20 years old. You say, why are they building a brand new stadium beside the Georgia Dome? You know why they're building a brand new stadium? Money. They can make a lot more money with this new stadium. You say, how? Well, they build these, the new stadiums have these suites and these skyboxes that they sell to these high-end donors and high-end companies, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars per game to rent the suite. Ticket prices go up, concessions go up, parking goes up. They've got a Super Bowl now because of the new stadium. They'll get the Super Bowl back to Atlanta, I think, in a year or two. You know how much the Super Bowl, the bowl, the, you know how much the Super Bowl brings to Atlanta when it comes? They estimate for the city of Atlanta it will bring revenue somewhere around seven to eight hundred million dollars for one game. So they're building this $1.6 billion stadium, tearing down a perfectly good one. Why? Because they need more, 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 more. Now, be careful because you're mad at Arthur Blank. He's the guy that's building it, but you're mad at him right now. I can't believe he'd do something like that. You ever had the conversation? I can't believe he'd spend that kind of money on a stadium. All the poor people in Atlanta need to have these kind of conversations. I've had them, right? And then I go home to my closet and I've got 97 shirts and I decide, you know, I need a new shirt. I bought this shirt a couple, you like this shirt? It's new, fresh, kind of in style. I'm not always the most stylish, but it's kind of in style. I've got 15 shirts I chose not to wear this morning. They're all fine. Not a thing wrong with them. I bought some tennis shoes a few months ago. Because my old ones were old and worn out? No. I just wanted some new shoes. Ladies, you buy new clothes because the old ones are out of style, right? Not because the old ones are wrong or bad, they just don't look like you... Right, men, y'all, I guess. <laughs> well, men, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of us men have bought a new TV in the last three or four years? And how many bought it because their old one stopped working? <laughs> I bet zero. Why don't we buy new TVs? Because it's 4K, right? You've got to have a 4K TV. It's curved now, right? So I can watch these movies in 4K or I can watch the Super Bowl in 4K, right? We, 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 when we see the excess of, of $1.6 billion savings, we scoff at that until we kind of examine our own hearts. We have the same problem just on a much smaller level, don't we? We have this desire to accumulate more and more. And James says, listen, it's all going to go away anyway. None of this stuff is going to last. And so we start asking ourselves the question, fair enough, how much is too much? Well, let's think through it. Look at verse 3. James says, your gold and silver have corroded. The corrosion will be evidenced against you, will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. That's an important little phrase at the end of verse 3. We'll get there in a second. Verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. In other words, these people worked for the rich. They didn't get paid like they were supposed to. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So, so James says, listen, we've, we've got enough. We don't need to keep 
hoarding up and, and spending because we're going to have more than we need and it's all going to go away anyway. And then here's truth number two based, based on verses three and four. We need to use our money honestly and wisely for the glory of the Lord. So let me just speak to Adam for a second. You can speak to yourself later and allow the Lord. Why didn't, when I was going to buy this shirt, say, you know what, I don't really need another shirt. Lord, how can I use this money for the glory of the Lord? Now, let me just be careful. I want, I want to be clear here with you. I'm not telling you not to ever buy new shirts. I'm not telling you it's a sin to buy a TV. It's not. All I'm saying is oftentimes we never even consider the kingdom of the Lord when it comes to our spending habits. We never even consider the Lord's work when it comes to our money. We, we never even ask the question, Lord, how would you like me to use the money you've given me to bring honor and to glory uh, and, and to glorify your name? We kind of make these decisions outside of maybe the will of the Lord. So all I'm saying, we, we should begin to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? How do you want me to use it? How can I use it for your honor and for your glory? Because truth be told, most of us have so much stuff, we're probably never going to use it all anyway, Right? We, we moved a few years ago in, into a new house. And when we moved, we were amazed at what we, the phrase we used was how much junk we had. We have four kids and, and a lot of stuff. And when you move a household with four kids, there's a, there's a lot of stuff. And we were able to throw some stuff away and get rid of it. But we were just amazed at, at the amount of stuff that we have. And so here, here's the question. Based on what James is saying to us and the challenge we've been given, if we are going to lose it all anyway, it's going to go away, it's going to rust and corrode. If we're going to lose it all anyway, if it's not going to last, if we need to be considerate and, and more aware of how we spend the money honestly and wisely for the glory of the Lord, kind of what, what's the answer to this problem? Here's the biblical answer, and then I want to think through it just for a few minutes. Here's what the scripture tells us time and time and time again. Don't store up treasures on earth where they're going to go away and corrode and you're not going to be able to take them with you. Instead, scripture says, store up for yourself treasure where? In heaven. I bet everybody in here has heard that a thousand times. Nothing new, nothing earth-shattering about that phrase. The real question is, are we applying it to our lives ever? It's not enough just to know it. What are we doing with it? And so I want to think through, just for a few minutes, I want to give you some very practical ways of storing up treasure in heaven. I don't have to give you practical ways of storing up treasure on earth. We get that, don't we? We're pretty good at that. But how should we be storing up treasures in heaven? Now, I want to be clear about something before I get into this, because I don't want there to be any confusion. You can't work to salvation. In other words, you can't do enough good things to be saved. I've said this before, but I want to be clear about it again in case you're new or guest with us this morning. You can't be saved through your works. You're saved through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we know that. We've seen that scripturally. But here's what we do need to understand. This is important. After we've accepted the forgiveness of Christ and we've asked Him to be our Lord and Savior, after we've been saved, our works and our o o obedience will lead to rewards in heaven. We talk about gaining crowns, some people talk about building a mansion, whatever phrase you use. There's, there's all sorts of scriptural evidence that show to us that after we've accepted Christ, the things we do for the Lord will be rewarded. So here's some examples. I just want to prove to, to this to you biblically. I don't want there to be confusion. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 20, the words of Christ. Now this is the Sermon on the Mount story found in Luke. Luke. 
Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, now watch this, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. Just a little side note, we don't ever really feel blessed when people do that, do we? But Jesus says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. See, Jesus says that when we live for him and we follow him and we trust him, even as people scoff and make fun and ridicule us, he literally says we should jump for joy because the reward we're going to receive for our faithfulness is great. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. See, Scripture tells us that when we're faithful to the Lord, He's going to bless us. John Piper says it like this, The New Testament teaches that our obedience results in rewards in the age to come that differ from each other according to the measure of our obedience. So as we accept Christ and follow Him and are obedient to His calling, He is rewarding us in heaven. And so I'm going to give you three very quick, very simple ways that you can build up or lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. I think we have these on the screen as well. Here's the first one. The first way you can build up treasure in heaven is through salvation. That's the, kind of the bottom line. That's foundational. If you're here this morning and you're, you're interested in, in building treasure in heaven and you're interested in what, interested in what, what James is saying, what, what Luke said and the words of Christ, if you want to think about treasure in heaven and building the kingdom of the Lord, it begins with salvation in your heart. You can't build up riches in heaven and be rewarded without salvation in Jesus Christ. So just to be clear, if you've never accepted Christ in your heart, repent of your sins, pray for forgiveness, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'd be happy after we're done to talk with you about that and, and help you understand that. And you know what? And I, I don't think this will ever happen, but I'm serious. If you felt like you needed to do it now, just come on down. If you've never accepted Christ, get this right. Okay, so salvation first. That's how we store up treasure in here. That's the first way. Here's the second way. By visibly living for Christ in this world. If you want to store up treasure in heaven, then you visibly live for Christ. I kind of talked about this at the beginning of the sermon for just a few minutes, but tomorrow morning when you walk into work, you should be visibly living for Christ. Now that, that means different things for different people, but it could mean things like this. A Christ-like attitude with people around you. Anybody not have a Christ-like attitude at some point this week? <laughs> Me? How about being honest with people? How about showing kindness? 
How about showing love to others? How are you visibly living for Christ at work, at home, at school, on the soccer field, whatever? How are you visibly living for Christ? Because as you do those things, as you kind of live out the, the fruit of the Spirit and the various things that Christ taught about, as you do those things, you are literally receiving and building up treasures in heaven. And just imagine if you, if you quit thinking so much about the finances and the possessions of this world and instead started thinking about serving Christ and all things, imagine the treasure you'd build up in heaven. And then thirdly, a third very simple way you can build up treasure in heaven by loving, loving your neighbor as yourself, showing kindness to those less fortunate than you. Let me read a, just a, a very challenging scripture in Luke chapter 12. Jesus speaking to his followers and, and especially to a, a rich man. Here's what Jesus says. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I'm not telling you to sell all your possessions and give to me. The Lord might be, but that's between you and the Lord. But I think it's important for us to kind of get here. The Lord says to us, listen, if you want to kind of store up treasure in heaven, one of the ways you can do it is by giving to people less fortunate than yourself. By loving people that may seem unlovable. But kind of, kind of crawling into their life a little bit and kind of walking as they walk. Now, one of the things I love about this church, and there's a lot of things I love about this church, but one of the things I love about this church is that we, we try to give you real ways in which you can do these things. Right, so I don't want to preach this and, and tell you to show kindness to your neighbor or that, at least kind of helping you understand ways in which you can do that. And so I want to give you just very quickly some ways at Rosemont you can become involved to love people, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to build up treasure in heaven. We have a lot of local things going on. You want to minister to somebody that's, that's in need or that hasn't heard the gospel locally? Calumet, Dunson area, and the Pine Mountain Kids Club. Every Sunday afternoon we do these things. Many of you are involved in those ministries. Man, you, you've got an opportunity this afternoon, next Sunday, the following Sunday, literally to, to walk with these kids and with these parents and love on them and pour into their life and show kindness to people that maybe are not as fortunate as you. What about the Pregnancy Care Center? What about the Homeless Ministry? We, we, we are involved in both of those things. What about Safe Families? Many of you are already involved. What about foster care? What, what about adoption? What, are, what about ways we can pour into the lives of these kids? There are numerous opportunities for you right now at this church to plug into ministries to help people and to be kind to people and in essence and in, in reality grow up and build up your treasure in heaven. This is what the Lord speaks of. You say, I'm not called to minister in this area. I want to do something else. Great, then go to New York or go to Alaska. We work with very impoverished areas there. Alaska, one of the most impoverished areas you'll go to. You want to work with some kind of kids in a park that don't have a whole lot and need the gospel of Jesus Christ? Go to Alaska. We got people going this summer. You want to go overseas and do that? Guatemala, Romania, South Asia, Africa, on and on the list because we're going to commission teams this morning. They're going to go to some of these places. The opportunities for you are endless. But James just kind of begs us, really, he kind of asks us, how are we using our money for the kingdom of the Lord? How are you using your money to bring Him glory? Now let's finish up. I need to wind up. Look at verses 5 and 6. 
So James says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Here's truth number three. We're going to finish with this. We should not live our life based simply on luxury. Take a step back in your life and ask yourself this question. How many decisions do I make based only on my comfort? James says you're living a life of luxury and self-indulgence. How many decisions do we make based simply on our comfort? I know personally I make a lot of them. Would I rather study and do some work or watch basketball games this time of year? Hard choice, men, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm working on my sermon last night. There's some great basketball. And I did watch some basketball, by the way. I don't you think I didn't watch any. But we make decisions based on comfort. Now, what's going to make me feel the best? What's going to make me the most comfortable? Would I rather lie in my hammock this afternoon and do nothing or get up and do some work around the house? Would I, would I rather own more stuff so I can be more comfortable or help people that don't have as much as I do? James says, you're living a life of luxury. You're storing up treasures on this earth. What a blessing it would be if we decided to take this teaching seriously and begin to use our possessions and our wealth and the material things that we own for the glory of the kingdom of the Lord, not for our own gratification and comfort. And so I want to end a little bit differently this morning. I want to do something different. You can go ahead and close up your Bibles and your notes. And I'm, I'm going to ask that we just kind of have a, a few minutes of silent prayer. Y'all can come on up. I want you to kind of pray one simple prayer. Just a real reflective, simple prayer this morning. Here's what I want you to pray. In just the silence in a few minutes as they start playing before we begin to sing. Here's what I want you to pray. Lord, what's the one way I can stop storing up treasure here and start storing up treasure in heaven? So I'm not asking you to go home and sell everything you own and give it away. I'm not asking you to change your entire lifestyle. Let's not talk about radical stuff. The Lord may be calling you to do that. I'm talking about one step. What's one thing I can do right now, Lord, that will allow me to stop storing up treasure on this earth and will lead me to store up treasure in heaven? So just in the the quietness of your own heart, I'd like you to pray that right now together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.